welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Cast. I am Michael, and this is Table Topics number 56, the post-Gen Con 2014 wrap-up. Uh, as usual, tonight I have my co-host Caleb. Hello. And we are going to talk all about my recent trip to Indianapolis, Indiana, for Gen Con 2014. And I had an amazing time. There is a written article on the site if you want to read all about it. I don't know that we're going to go into as much detail on this, or I don't know, more overview, I guess. We're going to touch on some things in more in depth, but not on everything, I guess. But before we get into that, uh, we have a couple announcements we want to go over. The first of which is... Uh, we have our new Patreon participant, member, pledger, very awesome person. However Yay! you want to phrase it, whatever title you want to use, Adam W. has joined the ranks. So thank you very much, Adam. We really do appreciate it. With Adam's help and with everyone else that is helping us through Patreon, uh, we are able to move uh, the Academy into uh, new heights and new areas of development. The wheels are churning right now. Gears are still cranking. Michael and I have a lot of big ideas of what we want to do. And this is our foundation. This is where we're starting. So big, big, big thank you to Adam W. and everyone else that has already pledged and continues to do so. Uh, yes, Adam, I, if you have a Twitter account, please let me know, and I'll make sure that I can give you a shout-out on that as well. And then also want to just uh, briefly mention Lucas, who is one of our uh, patrons as well. Our patrons as well. We recently ran his first game, which was a D&D 5e game, and uh, I thought it went really well. And the feedback I got from him and his friends is that they also had a really good time. We have uh, three adults and two kids-ish, uh, I think 10 and 14, and they especially had a good time. And it seems like the dads, because their kids had such a good time, had, had a good time. And that makes me really happy. So I was very excited about that as well. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention before we get into the actual show is we are kind of expanding the RPG Academy focus, maybe? I don't know what word. Uh, and to include board... We're, we're adding to the, the curriculum. There you go. Adding to the curriculum in a way. Uh, we are going to start talking a little bit more about board games. Uh, we've been very RPG-focused. We are called the RPG Academy, you know, for a reason. Uh, but we're going to start including a little bit more board game stuff. And we have several uh, fans of the show, listeners to the show, friends of the show, however you want to say that, uh, that are going to start contributing some either reviews, over overviews, recommendations. So hopefully those will start coming out soon. We'd love to get some feedback on what you like and what you don't like. And then we also have uh, Scott, who has been playing in some of our games. He's in the Fey Deadlands game. He's also in the new 13th Age game. He is running 5th edition uh, Minds of Fandelver, Lost Minds of Fandelver, uh, for, I believe, some brand new players to D&D. And he's going to be writing up some sort of articles about how that process is going. And I'm very excited about getting them on the side as well. But enough hoo-ha. It's time to get on to the show. Right. So... Uh, if we were uh, if we were better produced, we would have some transition music, maybe a little dance sequence. But no, now you just hear me talking. There you go. So, Gen Con 2014. This was the second year you got to go, right, Michael? Yes. And um, I know that last year, at, when you came home, you, you told us that your experience was so uh, earth-shatteringly wonderful that you were miserable that you had not been going for your entire life. 
pretty much. That's absolutely correct. I, I have said, and, I, and I'm not just, I mean, I'm not trying to over say it. Gen Con last year was a life-changing event for me. I had so much fun that I got angry at myself for having never gone before. And I am now a person who goes to cons. I, I, I'd never gone to a con before other than I went to like Lexington Comic Con one time and sucked. So this was my first actual gaming convention. I've been playing board game or role playing games since I was 12. I'm in almost 40. I live two hours from Indianapolis. No reason I should not have gone to Gen Con before. Finally gone. Mad at myself for having not gone before. Have plans to never miss again. And, and this is the way I'll say this. I have the opportunity to go to San Diego Comic Con next year. For my birthday, my wife um, has agreed that that can be my present. I will be 40. Uh, my best friend from a childhood, uh, he and I recently started that other podcast that we do movie reviews on. And so for my birthday, he and I were going to go to San Diego Comic Con. And what I told my wife is, I will not go there if it means I can't go to Gen Con. Because they're very close to each other, and if it's a matter that I can only do one or the other, I'm choosing Gen Con over San Diego Comic Con, because it is so freaking awesome. So last year was a life-changing event. This year, I would say, was like transcendent. <laughs> I, I somehow elevated my experience, and it was even better. Okay, so, before the show just becomes you saying how awesome it was for an hour, let's reel this back a little bit. <laughs> Because <laughs> I know if I don't interrupt, you're just going to keep saying how wonderful it was with different words. Pretty much. So let's give the let's give the listeners something a little bit more entertaining. As you were preparing for Gen Con this year, obviously you were excited. You had a lot of anticipation. Um, I know that your schedule for events changed a couple times. Obviously, you knew you were going to have a great time. You knew how excited it was. You had a lot of anticipation built up. What... What were you thinking as you were preparing to go? What did you want to do to maximize the most fun? Uh, was there something you knew you wanted to avoid? Was there something you planned on you had to do it to make sure you had the best time possible? I mean, what, what was beyond that Christmas morning excitement? What were your mechanics? What was your foundation of, of what you had to do? So that's a very kind of interesting and uh, an answer that will require some complexity. Because things changed very rapidly for me going to Gen Con. I'll try to make this make sense. So I'm self-admitted, I'm more of an RPG guy than a board game guy. I do enjoy certain board games. But for the most part, if I'm going to do something, I would rather do an role-playing game than a board game. With very few exceptions. And I can get into some of those later if necessary. But, so one of my goals going into Gen Con last year is I wanted to try out new game systems that I had never played before. I've pretty much played D&D my entire life, and through this podcast and meeting you and doing some interviews, I've been exposed to new things and generally have really enjoyed them. Like, I'm a, I love Fae and Fate. The game that Porter runs for us is amazing. I'm really getting into the 13th Age game that we're playing. I'm hearing so many good things about Dungeon World and Numenera that I, I wanted to try a bunch of new game systems. So last year I made that a priority, and D&D and Pathfinder still dominate the role-playing game offerings at, at Gen Con, and it was very difficult to get into things that were not those things. 
So I think last year, if I remember correctly, I did get into a couple Savage Worlds games, which I really liked. I played Savage Worlds before. And I got into a Dungeon Crawl Classics game, which last year was my favorite event. I absolutely had more fun in that Dungeon Crawl Classics game than any other. So when I started my scheduling process for this year, I made that a priority again, as I want to, one, I want to play in a Dungeon Crawl Classics game because I had so much fun last year. And again, I really want to try some new games, specifically Dungeon Crawl Classics, Numenera. Oh, Time Watch. That was the one. Okay. So I really want to do a Time Watch, specifically because we talked a little bit about, I, uh, I like to run mystery games, and my, my D&D games are often, often have mystery elements. And uh, I've heard that the gumshoe system is basically designed to do mysteries. And the Time Watch was just sort of a newer adaptation of that, had a time travel element, and shocker, I like time travel in my games too, so it was like a perfect marriage. So when I had set up my schedule, those were kind of my priorities. I wanted to make sure I got into a Dungeon Crawl Classics game. I wanted to try to do Numenera. I wanted to try to do Dungeon World. I wanted to try to do Time Watch. And, um, and I also got the press badge, which, again, we've talked about many times before. I wanted to do enough things that would justify that press badge. I mean, I, I do want to do some journalistic things while I was there. And in my mind, that was the avenue to do that, is I would play these games that are e a a either new or new to me. And then I could write about them and kind of review them. And that would be the justification for the press match. So does that make somewhat of sense about what you were asking? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You, your approach was to temper your excitement and your desire just to play the games you enjoyed with, with an academic approach. You, you wanted to try new things. You wanted to push yourself to try new things not only for your own purpose, your own edification, but for the for our listeners, for the purpose of the site. Correct. However, things changed rapidly. And and I made promises to myself last year that I did not keep this year. Uh, one, I overscheduled again. Uh, and I said, don't overschedule. And then I said, I'm not going to skip stuff. I skipped stuff this year. But the number one thing that, that happened uh, for me... And again, I almost, I feel like I'm, I'm pushing this, but the press badge is that about three weeks before the event, I started getting a ton of emails from Gen Con because of the press badge with press invitation stuff. And again, I didn't have a press badge the year before, so I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. So there were a lot of things like, hey, would you like to do an interview here? Would you like to do this thing here? And there were some things I really wanted to do. I thought that, that was, you know, really interesting. One of which is being the Dungeonscape, which used to be codenamed Morningstar, which we've talked about before when I was at from Origins earlier in the year. That's really a hot topic right now. I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of traffic uh, on Twitter and on Google Hangouts and or, you know, Google Plus communities and everything about it. So I knew that if I had the opportunity, I definitely wanted to talk to those folks to try to get some more information. Well, they offered me uh, an interview spot as a member of the press, so I had to rearrange my schedule. Uh, I got an offer to do an, the Umba TV thing, which was kind of weird, but turned out to be very interesting. I'm very glad I did it. Because I was a backer of Primeval Fool, I got an offer to do a play test for Rich Baker's new game, Ultimate Scheme, which was a lot of fun. I'm really glad I got to do that. So the thing that happened is about two weeks before the event, I had to blow my schedule up. Like, it just literally got blown up, and I had to rearrange a bunch of stuff to try to 
do these things, which a lot of them were press related, so I felt like I kind of had to do those again to kind of justify the badge. Uh, and then the other thing that was really important is that we got the invite from Nerds Domain that to be a participant in their Call of Cthulhu game. They had set up other quote unquote podcast personalities that unfortunately were not able to make it. So we were the B team. Uh, they said, you know, hey, would you mind filling in? We have three spots that were supposed to be, I'm making air quotes, podcast celebrities. <laughs> they can't make it. Would you be willing? And Call of Cthulhu was one of the games that I wanted to play. Again, I'm, I'm now a fan of Cthulhu and Friends. I'm listening to those episodes and I really like them. I want to play Call of Cthulhu. Here's an opportunity to, to get into a Call of Cthulhu game that was sold out. And I get to be a personality. What's not to like? So yeah, so it just at the last minute, things just started blowing up. And my schedule that was, you know, down to a science got blowed up. And then I had to start all over. So my due difference for next year is I am not really going to be worried about filling in my schedule. When it comes time to schedule, because you have to do the wish list, I'm going to have much less stuff on there. I'm really just going to put the couple things that are really high priority, things I really want to do. And I'm going to be completely fine with a bunch of open spots on my schedule. Because this year in particular, I kept finding things to do in those spots that were great. I got to be in a, in a pickup game with the Angry DM. I got in, invites to other pickup games, one from Numenera, which I wasn't able to make because of another conflict. But that's probably my biggest do different is don't fill my schedule all the way to the brim trying to pack in as much as I can because I'm going to do that anyways and I probably will have a better time if I'm not so focused on that and then I won't feel so bad if I have to blow my schedule up. So for anyone else going next year, don't over schedule. Don't be worried about filling every minute of every day. There's so much to do. You're going to find something to do. You're not, you're not going to have downtime unless you want it. So what we really need to do is listen to this show again next year to remind yourself not to repeat your overscheduling. Yes, absolutely, because that is the, the problem is that I made that promise last year and then I still screwed it up this year. So next year, hopefully, the press badge will be an opportunity as well. If, that's, if that is accepted and we get the press badge again, then I will know that, so I will know not to overbook early because of that in particular but just you know don't be afraid to have a lot bunch of open spots the other thing that i'll say that's a do different is gen con's a year away a lot of stuff could happen between now and then but the goal the, the plan is that you and i will both be going next year and that you and i will be running something either co-dm or separately but we will be running something next year as an rpg academy game if all goes to plan absolutely so we will have to add that into the schedule of where we need to be and what we need to do uh and i'm sure uh we will be able to do some pickup games and and pre-games as well uh depending on how things flow but uh yeah that's definitely that is definitely on the books for next year and hopefully everything we do in between now and then will be building towards that i know that you and i have that in the back of our minds is where we ultimately want to be next year. And I think we're going to frame a lot of our projects and developments to get us there. But of course we have to go with the flow and then we have to see what happens. A year is a long time away. So it, you know, lots of things can happen. Definitely. Let's jump to the end a little bit. Uh, you were there for three days. 
five four total. Five days. Yeah, I was there. I got there Wednesday. I left on Sunday. Okay. So, over the time you were there, what, in retrospect, what was the best? What was your favorite? That's, again, a very, very hard question for me to answer for many reasons. What I will say is, I was most looking forward to the Primeval Thule game. And in, in the written article, I even said that that was my favorite event, though it was a hard choice. Thinking back now, after a couple of days, I'm not sure that that was my favorite event, but it was still, I, again, I'm not trying to be coy here. There was so much good that it's hard for me to say. Okay, let, let's rephrase the question then. Someone who is a gamer approaches you. This person says, hey, Michael, I've never been to Gen Con. I don't really go to convention. You just went in August. What's the one reason I should go related to your experience? <sighs> okay, so I'm still going to take a long way to answer this because that's just <laughs> oh. what I do. Jeez. I was trying to get you into the funnel there. Yeah, yeah, it didn't work. Okay, Ugh. so I'm gonna give you the, the I'm gonna give you the long answer. Just cause. All right. So the pre Gen Con thing was awesome. That was an amazing time. I got to meet uh, listeners of the show, people that I have interacted with on Twitter before, and Twitter is an interesting thing for me because these are people that I interact with on a daily basis. I mean, again, I have a second podcast with my best friend growing up in childhood. I speak to him maybe twice a week. One of those is when we record a podcast. I talk to Imperial Scum pretty much every day. So I there's these weird sort of connections that you make with people that you've never really met or never really seen. So getting to do the Gen Con thing at the hotel beforehand was awesome. I got to meet Danny and John, who again are Imperial Scum and Lanzal Whopper. I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, Randy and Tim. Uh, Rocky and Travis and Amanda and Brad and Brad and Jared all came from my group. And then Pierce and his fiance Alyssa all showed up. And then also Tim, who used to play fourth edition with me and his son Jacob showed up. So we had a great time before Gen Con even started. And, you know, I'm kind of an organizer at heart. That's sort of probably why I have the podcast. So setting that up, having people actually show up, having people have a good time hits a lot of personal buttons with me. So that was a fantastic event, and I really, really enjoyed it. And I hope next year we, we can do it again, maybe even a little bigger, because, again, I think you and I probably will do some stuff. I think that's the reason why I originally said that Primeval Fool was my favorite event, because it, it hit a lot of the same buttons. Because I backed the Kickstarter, I got to have a hosted game, so I got to have, for lack of a better term, I had a celebrity DM. I mean, David Noonan, you know, dude's an icon in D&D, &D, along with Rich Baker and Steven Schubert. So, you know, Rich and Steven showed up. They bought pizza for the table. So there was a time we had all three of them in the room and we were just chatting, which was awesome. I got to meet Newbie DM, who I've wanted to meet because he got, he played in the game. I got to meet NPC Chris because it, because he came to the game as well. We had the contest winner who had a great time and I got to see him have a great time at the game that I put together. So again, there was a lot of buttons that got pressed for me personally that that game hit. And I think I think I liked that game more because of the circumstances that surrounded it than I did the actual game itself. Because the actual game, while it was a lot of fun, was a very straightforward con game. I mean, we were prisoners and we fought in an arena. There, you know, it was it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of good role playing, but it wasn't like it was a very elaborate story with a lot of depth to it. It was us fighting stuff for sport, and then things got really crazy. So with some distance, 
I think my favorite favorite game was actually the Call of Cthulhu game with Nerds Domain. Because of the way that it happened, and I promised Matt I wouldn't spoil it because he is going to run that again next year. But it was it was a very interesting game. I love the idea of it. I, I give the idea an A plus plus. I give their execution of it an A. And again, it's it's still an A. But there were some circumstances that were beyond their control in some regards. Uh, we were in a big room because there was like 30 people that were all playing in the same game, but we were divided up by tables. And there was one table in the room that wasn't us, so it was a little bit awkward at time when we were trying to do big announcements that affected everybody, but they weren't impacted. And they tried to be respectful, and they would get quiet, but then there were times they were doing things that didn't relate to us. They had one DM who was very loud, and when he was going over stuff, you could hear it, everyone in the room could hear it. And just because of the way the game went, there were things that he was saying that we could hear that probably we shouldn't have, if that makes sense. But it was still an amazing game, and if you're a Call of Cthulhu fan, 100% try to get in that game next year. Nerds Domain, thank you so much for inviting us. It was an awesome game. I got to play Call of Cthulhu, and it was an awesome game beyond that. So I, with a little bit of perspective, I actually think that was my favorite moment. Favorite game, I should say. Well, well let's go into that for a second. What did you like the best about it? Was it the social experience? Was it the story? Or was it... The system. Okay, it, it wasn't the system because the system really didn't come into play a whole lot. It's basically, it's a percentile system. You have skills, and then you try to get under them. I mean, and I'm sure there's more depth to it, but in the four hours we played, it really didn't come out. I can't give away my favorite part because that would spoil it for for future. But I, I will say this: it is very rare for me to sit down at a table and be intimidated by other people role playing. I was intimidated by the level of role-playing at my table. There were people there that were dressed in period-appropriate costumes. There were people there that had props. There were people that were that were full-on doing the accent. And, I mean, for me, I usually need, I need a little time to warm up, especially if I'm completely by myself at a table and I don't know anyone, and that's what happened. Because even though Brad and Nick went with me, we were separated. We were at different tables. So I started off, I didn't know anybody at my table, other than John, who was my DM, who is uh, Fool's Mask on Twitter. He's like the co-host of the Nerd Domain podcast, the, uh, the the news and review one. So I knew him through Twitter briefly. So I was a little bit intimidated. I was a little bit cold. It took me a little while to, to get into it. And there were people at my table that, at the word go, they were role-playing and they were role-playing hard. And it was a joy to be a part of. Even if I was a spectator for that first hour, it it was amazing. I don't know if that's the Call of Cthulhu culture, because uh, we, we started off, and I don't think this is point. we started off, we were like 1930s aristocrats, late 20s, early 30s, uh, at a garden party. So there were people there that, you know, like my character had a top hat and a monocle, for God's sake. And, you know, so we're all, hmm, uh, lovey, get me the, the, the champagne, and ordering servants around and shit like that. And, and apparently you were on Gilligan's Island. Too. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. I always go to Gilligan's Island. Uh, <laughs> it's a classic show. The, the army should have done more to get them off the island. That was a very, you know, we let those people down. I blame the Harlem Globetrotters. Globetrotters. Well, now that you said it correctly, I agree with you. <laughs> but yeah, I, again, I, I had so many good experiences that it is really hard to say what was best. But from a role-playing standpoint, that was my favorite game. I think... The thing I talked about in the article about 13th Age when I got recognized was my favorite moment. And I think maybe Primeval Fool is my favorite event 
but I also really liked our pre-Gen Con thing. So it it's hard to pick because there were so many good things that happened. So to summarize a little bit. There's too much. Let's, there, let me explain. There's too much. Let me sum up. <laughs> There's a lot of different events. Every event you went to had a high point and probably a low point. But there's a lot more high points. Yes. And they're all for different reasons. Maybe one of them was because you loved the people you were playing with. Another one was because you were impressed with the role players at the table, your compatriots. Another one might have been because you actually really enjoyed playing the system you were doing or who was running. So th there's not really one easy answer to say this was the best ultimately because there's so many different criteria to compare them on. But from your story... What I can draw out of that is overall it was the social aspect that you were in. Meeting the people that we talk to every day that are across the country that this show and the internet unites, that are our friends. Not I don't even want to call them fans. I mean, they really, yes, there are listeners and we appreciate their listening and what they do for us, but they really have become friends. There are our gaming group that's extended and we may only get together once or twice a year, but they are our gaming friends. So being able to see these people, meet them, interact with them, um, meet some new gamers, meet some new GMs, pick up different things from everyone you interact with. From what you're saying, that is probably the best aspect that Gen Con delivers. That, that core social and emotional connection that we get with our fellow gamers. And I think for me, that's absolutely true. Now, one of the beauties of Gen Con is that it's so big. I think they set another record this year with 50, I think 56,000 unique entries that if you're like a hardcore war gamer and all you want to do is war game, that's going to be happening for 24 hours a day for five days. If you're a cosplayer, there is cosplay going on the entire time. There's a costume contest, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's already on Facebook and YouTube, you can watch video of the costume parade. If you want to meet people, like if you have, like you want to be a game designer, you can network with people and find people who can help you with that. If you just want to get stuff early, they have in the exhibit hall, they have early release stuff, things you can buy at Gen Con that you can't get sometimes for weeks or months later. Any game that you want to play, no matter how minute you may think it is it's going on there whether it's an actual event or someone's doing pickup games but for me personally yes i'm a very social person that's that's what i enjoy about role-playing games in a lot of ways so for me yes the the getting to meet people making connections putting names and faces together and getting to interact with again listeners to our show uh or and or people that i've met through twitter like newbie dm and, and npc chris those were absolutely the highlights for me Okay, well, that's definitely good. Obviously, everyone's experience and everyone's perception of an event is going to be different. That's one of the things I, I like about these giant social events. There's tens of thousands of people there, and there's tens of, tens of thousands of different reasons why people are there. And there's tens of thousands of different experiences that these people have. Let me jump in there for a second. For example, uh, Nick... Who, uh, who's been on the podcast for a while in the actual plays, he actually didn't have a great time. He, I think he said overall it was good, but he had a lot of down moments. And I, I think there's some lessons to be learned from his experience that, one, he did mostly board game stuff. Uh, he's, he's more of a board game guy than a role-playing guy. 
and several times he had signed up to play a board game that he either wanted to play or was interested in, and he would specifically target, uh, like, introductory events, like, we'll teach you how to play. And one game in particular, it was the um, Game of Thrones board game, which is kind of like Risk in a weird, weird kind of way. Like, everybody takes a house, the, some of the more prominent ones from the books, and then you, you fight each other. Well, it was supposed to be a six-person game. It was supposed to be a beginner's game. Well, the other five people that showed up all knew each other. They were all friends, and they all already knew how to play. So basically, he just got crushed because he was trying to learn the game, and these other five people already knew the game, and they were friends with everyone but him, so he was the easy target. And it was a pretty miserable experience for him, honestly. Like He was very, not to say upset, but he was disappointed by it. And I think that would be the, one of the things that I would say, especially me being social, is going with other people, I think, is a very important aspect, or, or doing events with people that you know. I suggested to him that they have the, the games on demand for board games. It runs 24 hours a day, every day that you're there. You pay $4 for the day ticket, I think, and $6 for the night ticket. So basically $10 will get you 24 hours. It's a giant room with every board game you can imagine. And you can just play at your own leisure. You can bring, you know, your own friends, if they pay, they can come in. Or you can put a little flag on your table that says, hey, I want, I want players for this game. Or I don't know how to play this game. You put a different color flag and someone will come over and teach you the game. And I think that would have been a much better experience for him just to stay in that place like all day. He would have had a lot more fun than paying six dollars to go to this game that was miserable. I'm not sure how to respond to that. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, even like last year, all the, my first year there, all the events that I liked most were events that I had so, at least one other person that I knew in the game. Because last year I went with Jared and Travis, mm -hmm. and we didn't play everything together, but pretty much like I played something with both of them every day. And absolutely, in, in the games that I knew, no one were not nearly as fun to me as when I knew at least one other person. So I think that was a, a big thing. And maybe that's part of the reason why I had so much fun this year is pretty much every game, almost, I knew someone. And it turns out in some cases it was surprised I knew them. Uh, but I, I had a connection with someone in almost every game. And I think that might have been part of the reason why I had so much fun this year. Now, probably not everyone that goes to the con shares that those feelings. I'm sure there are plenty of people that either don't care about being in a game with someone they know, or they don't care about that social dynamic of it. Now, I very strongly agree with you that I would feel very uncomfortable walking into a game, whether it's a board game or a role-playing game, where I knew nobody. And I would feel even more uncomfortable if the majority of the people at that table knew each other. I, I would really feel like an outsider, and it'd be really difficult for me to participate and enjoy myself. But not everyone is like that. I'm, I'm sure there are plenty of people that just don't care and just go to do whatever they want and have fun and, and, and get that out of it. The whole point of this convention is that whatever you want to experience, whatever you want to participate in, you can find that as a venue. There's so much going on. So stemming from that, uh, we did have a question on Twitter from Tim at Project Linus. I think that's Tim from uh, the early Gen Con. Oh, was it? I, I think that's him. Dad wasn't there, so I don't know these people. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you forgot. Pretty sure, yeah, the Tim of every time it's my turn, chaos ensues, as I know. Ah. I'm pretty sure that's him. Which was a nice little reference there to Michael's article. If you don't know what he's talking about, you can go read it, although I will tell you now, 
there's no real explanation. So you had to be there. <laughs> you um, you but, did kind of have to be there. But Tim, whichever Tim this might be, uh, asks you, what event are you most disappointed to have missed? I was really bummed that I had to miss the Time Watch game. Uh, I had to blow that game off to do the uh, Ultimate Scheme playtest, which was the Sas- Sasquatch Game Studio game, the one that Rich Baker designed, and no mm-hmm. offense to Time Watch, but I get a chance to sit in a room with uh, Rich Baker for an hour, I'm going to take it. Sure. Plus, the game itself was a lot of fun, so that was really cool. But I really, really wanted to play Numenera. I bought the book last year. The book is gorgeous. I haven't, I haven't read any rule, but I flipped through the book, and the book is gorgeous. Um, I had a chance to meet Monty Cook very briefly, and he signed the book for me. A uh, very nice fellow. And I've heard a lot of interesting things about the game that make me want to play it to try it out. And so I tried to sign up for an actual game in the event, and there were very few of them. They went very fast, no chance. Uh, then I met a couple people online who were willing to run pickup games for me. Or they were they were going to run pickup games, and they said I would be invited if it worked out, and none of them worked out. So I had like three or four opportunities to play in a Numenera game, and I just it did not work out. So that's probably my biggest disappointment for what I didn't get to do. My biggest disappointment of what I did get to do was True Dungeon and the Dungeon Crawl Classics game. Those both were very disappointing to me for for a couple different reasons. Um, and again, I'm referencing a lot from the article, so if you've read it, this is all rehash. But at my home games, usually five players is where I like to max. I actually prefer four over five. That's just my sweet spot. That's what I'm comfortable running and playing in. And I think when you get more than that, it just detracts because it's hard to give everybody their moment. So when I signed up for the Dungeon Crawl Classics game, it, it had six spots, which is more than I usually want to play. But because... I had so much fun last year in Dungeon Crawl Classics. It was my favorite event last year. I really wanted to try it again, and I wanted specifically to try it when we were actually adventurers. Because the game that we played last year was a very interesting setup. We were normal people from the 1970s Wisconsin. They got sucked into a portal into a magical realm by a spell. So we were just like Bob the plumber and Frank the football coach dealing with these lizard men and, and stuff. So, and it was part of the Dungeon Crawl Classic thing. We all had several characters, and most of them died within minutes, which is fun. But I wanted to try it like a real, like a D&D game. Like, I'm a fighter, I'm a wizard, I'm a cleric. How does it play? So I signed up for it, even though it had six players, because I wanted to. Then, Nick, who wasn't having a great Gen Con, didn't have anything going on that time. I was like, well, hey, why don't you come with me if maybe someone will drop? Because that does happen quite frequently at Gen Con. People don't show up for stuff, and maybe you can sit in. So we got there, talking to the DM. I'm like, hey, my buddy wants to join us if he can. He's like, sure, that's not a problem. I don't think everyone's going to show. You know, usually we have people drop. So he basically said, you can play. And then everyone showed up. And on top of that, the same thing kind of happened to another guy. He showed up. He's like, hey, can I play? And he's like, "Uh, yeah, more than likely someone will drop. So we went from six players. We actually played the game with eight. And it was just too many. I I really like Dungeon Crawl Classics. The rules are interesting. I love the way they do magic. I think it's very interesting. I like it a lot, but I just don't like playing with that many people. It just doesn't fit my play style, and I didn't like it. And then again, it didn't help that I died about an hour before the game was over. So I just kind of sat there for about 30 to 40 minutes just watching other people find my body. And then on top of that, I bought a LARPing sword for my kid. Um, I, I've shared on here we like to fight each other with them, and we needed one more. 
And then I left it in that room. I mean, that's my fault. I'm the dumbass. But I left it in the room, and then when I went back later, it was gone. So not only did I play a game that wasn't fun, I lost a sword that I had just bought, and I had to buy a replacement. Well, that's definitely unfortunate. Although, pro- probably keeping your kids from beating your ass with foam swords is a good idea. Well, I ended up buying them another one, so it, all it did was cost oh. me... I basically paid twice as much for the sword uh, oh. that I ended up getting. And then the other disappointment was True Dungeon. That was the thing last year that I really wanted to do, but the cost was a little prohibitive, 48 bucks. And I've heard people tell me it's the most amazing event at Gen Con, and I had other people tell me, eh. So I, was, I got some mixed signals, and one of... Jared, one of our friends, uh, his buddy, Jamie, who's done it before, he offered to buy all 10 tickets to a single session and then only have people that we know go through it, which was important to me because one of the things I've heard is if you go through it with someone who's done it before, that they'll just solve all the puzzles and you're just kind of watching them do that. And I didn't, that wasn't interesting to me. So we did it with people that have done it before, but they were all kind of letting us experience it. At least that was the, the plan. So they bought all 10 tickets, we gave Jamie the money, we all showed up. Right off the bat, we had problems, because apparently we had 11 people show up for 10 spots. So Jared didn't even get to do it. So like, well, we're in the room, we're going around, we're counting off, we're like, we ended up with 11, how did that happen? So Jared, just being a nice guy, is like, you know what, I'll set out. So he didn't even get to do it, and he was the one that kind of organized it, which was frustrating. And then the biggest thing is, again, it goes back to people, 10 people is too many. I probably would have had a blast doing that with five people. Ten people was too many. Uh, we did the puzzly version, so there were like three or four puzzles, and the puzzles were actually really cool, and we I liked the puzzles, but we didn't communicate very well, and there were a couple that we didn't solve that I think were very solvable, but we didn't communicate very well. And I guess that's part of the, part of the thing, but I think less people we would have had a better shot. And then the very last thing that happened I thought was kind of dumb, to be honest with you, um, and we ended up losing. We got a TPK. We're one of only two T- TPKs the entire day, according to the lady who checked us out. Um, so it kind of ended on a sour note. You know, I don't know, just all o- overall, being the most expensive event that I did, it probably was the least fun. Hmm. That's unfortunate. I always thought that would be a good thing to do, but uh, now I'm a little bit hesitant. Again, if, if somebody wants to buy 10 tickets and then just have five people go through it, I'm there. But not with 10 people, just not, wouldn't for me. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, you're essentially, in that game, you're going through a dungeon yourself. It's not quite LARPing. It's a mix of solving puzzles and quote-unquote combat with physical mechanics that you work with in a dungeon-type setting with some scenery and props and jazz like that. And I think that was one of my disappointments, too, is that I, I thought there would be more role-playing. I thought it would be more LARP-like. And, uh, you know, they're on a time schedule. They they run people through pretty much you, as soon as you walk out of a room, another group walks in behind you. So you're on a very specific time crunch. You can't linger. All the puzzles have a time limit. If you don't solve them in the time limit, you just don't solve them, and then you get pushed to the next room. So I thought there would be more role play stuff, and there wasn't time. Like we we walked into the room, they told us what the puzzle was, and we started working. And you know, there's like one puzzle that I think we we figured out like that. It was pretty awesome. We worked together. It was the the the, the best moment because we were all super excited that we worked together and we solved the puzzle. The other ones, I don't know. So I, I said I uh, I wasn't impressed with the whole process. And then the way that you fight, 
I don't think this is spoiling anything, is it sort of like a Huck game? Like you, you have these tables that have the image of what you're fighting, and you have these little discs, and you push the disc and you try to land on targets, targets being numbers, so like if you land on the 18, that's an 18 to attack, which feels like a very arbitrary way to, way to do it. Uh, but ultimately what screwed us up is the very last room, there were two things happened simultaneously. You had to fight, and then half the group had to do like a puzzle element that kept you, basically gave you more rounds to fight. So if you did a good job on the puzzle, you could have more turns to fight the bad guys. We walked in the room, and the DM, because every room has a DM, says, okay, who wants to do the puzzle? Or, or He didn't say it puzzle. He said, who wants to do the thing, which we didn't know that turned out to be the puzzle. So we did a terrible job dividing up responsibilities, and half the people that were doing the puzzle thing were our best fighters. So it ended up the people that were fighting were very bad at it by character class, and then we were the people that didn't get to practice, because there's like a 20-minute introductory onboarding experience where you get to practice your skills and they kind of teach you how it works. So it was just, we really screwed up the last thing. We didn't divide up very well. The people that were good at fighting were doing the puzzles. People that were doing the puzzle should have been fighting. So we lost horribly. But I will say for myself, because uh, I'm narcissistic and I want people to know this, when you cast spells, uh, the druid has to remember a bunch of different leaves. The wizard has to remember a bunch of different symbols, and the cleric has to remember a bunch of beads. And there's ten of these for each of these, like there's a weird symbol, and it's like the symbol for air. When you go to cast a spell, it always works, but if you do a skill test and you can remember a specific bead, leaf, or token, or whatever, then it has a bonus effect. Uh, so basically, like for me, I was the cleric. When I cast my healing spells, they would hold up a, a thing of beads and say, tell me which one of these represents love. And if I could pick the correct bead, then my spell did more healing. I was three for three, because I am awesome. <laughs> well, good for you. So maybe next year, we will try to do that with only five of us. Maybe. But that means we would be paying $96 a piece. And that's a bit much. Oh, hey, I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> Never mind. Or we could get ten people, and then we could kill five of them. Ooh, eh, kill, kill's rough. Maybe we just like trap them in a a well or lock them in a bathroom. You know, yeah. Find some way I mean, for them not to participate. I'm sure there's plenty of bathrooms at the convention center. Yes, and most of them would, are traps, just in their very nature. Uh, there you go. There you go. There's a there's a Gen Con tip for you guys. There's hotels all around. Go to them. <laughs> go to the hotels instead of the conventions. Yes. Well, um, one of the things I did want to ask you about from your article was Centurions of Science, because I love fate. We all know that. Um, I love the Atomic Robo system. I, I don't know if that came out well enough in our interview with Mike Olson about how absolutely in love with Atomic Robo I am, but I am. So the fact that um, that this system, uh, Centurions of Science, or not system. It's the Atomic Robo system. We just pay, played with those characters. Right. Yeah, it's the fate. It's a, it's a setting. It's a, it's a different era of the story. That That's a new thing now. I, I wanted to hear more about that from what you put in the article. So that very easily could have been my favorite event if it had been longer. 
We uh, That was supposed to be a Dungeon World game, and I don't understand how Games on Demand works. I'd made a, sort of an agreement through Twitter. Uh, Mike Lawson, also known as Kosovo Dad, uh, wanted to play a game with me, so we, we set up a play date. And I wanted to try Dungeon World, so what we decided to do is that we would go to Games on Demand and we would do Dungeon World. Again, we didn't understand how that system works. You can't just go in and say, I want to play Dungeon World. It doesn't work that way. So for anyone, because this might actually be valuable, this is how Games on Demand works. You muster right outside of the Games on Demand area. Last year was on the Marriott second level. I don't know if it's there every year or not, but that's where it was this year. And you get a letter. Like you walk up and say, I want to do Games on Demand at X o'clock. It starts at 10 o'clock in the morning. It goes every two hours until... I think midnight or so, and you get a letter A through Z. And if you have a group of people, you all get the same letter. I think it maxes out at 10 of the same letter per time frame. Then when the next series of games come up, they call out random letters. And I don't know what algorithm they used or what the science was behind it, but like being A doesn't mean you're first. So when it is your turn, you walk up there and they have the two-hour games and they have the four-hour games. And it's kind of like a menu. You pick out of what's available what you want to play. And as people pick stuff, they cross off seats. So like one game might have six seats. One game might have two. One game might have eight. I don't know. So like you could have a group of ten people. There's not anything that has ten spots. But your ten people get to pick what they want to do. You go in and sit down. They call the next letter. So when we got up there to do our time frame, there was no Dungeon World available. And the games rotate based on the DMs that are available and that kind of thing. So a Dungeon World might have been available at 2 o'clock and it might have been available at 6. wasn't available at 4 o'clock when we went up there. So just lesson learned for games on demand. It was still very cool, but it wasn't what I thought it was. So when we get up there to do our game, Dungeon World wasn't on there, but Sparks Nevada... Martian Marshall, Martian Marshall, I think what it's called, was. And I remember that from the interview with Mike Olson. That was like one of his pet project games that he's kind of working on. I don't think it's, I don't think it's an official thing. I think it's just something he's kind of playing around with. And I was like, oh, that's that game he mentioned. Let's do that. There really wasn't anything else that exciting. So the group I was with said, sure. So we go in there and sit down. And it turns out that Mike Olson is supposed to be our GM, and I didn't know that at the time, so that was just like a happy coincidence. The problem is that Mike Olson didn't know that either. So it was about 10 after the time, and I went out there and was like, hey, we, we don't have a DM yet, or a GM. He's like, oh, okay. So it takes him about 15 minutes to figure out that Mike Olson was supposed to be the GM, that, and then let Mike Olson know. So he shows up. It, it's probably close to 4.30 at this point, honestly. And he sits down, and he's like, guys, I'm sorry. I can't run Sparks Nevada. I only brought one set of my stuff, and I just ran it for another group. Would you prefer to play Atomic Robo? And at that point, I was like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that, no offense to Sparks Nevada, but I would love to play Atomic Robo. And then he's like, oh, but I also have the Centurion of Science characters, if you guys would rather do that. And then I got an even bigger nerd boner. I was like, yes, let's definitely do that. No one else at the table had a strong opinion, so I kind of was like, yeah, and everyone agreed. And then Mike, again, we interviewed him, liked the guy. I'm a talker. I think he could out-talk me. He went through very fast explaining how fate works. He went through every character that was available, uh, their stunts and their skills. 
So it took a while. So it was easily 5 o'clock before we actually started playing. So all in all, we only played for about one hour. It was a lot of fun. Obviously, Mike knows Fate inside and out. He knows the, the setting inside and out. But it was still only a one-hour game. And that was probably the only reason why that's not my favorite event. If that had been a four-hour event, I probably would be saying that was my favorite event. But one hour, it was fun. It was great. It just wasn't long enough. Cool, cool. Now, um, I don't remember. Is is this something that is officially coming out? Is it just a supplement they released? I don't actually know. Having talked to Mike, I think this is just something they, they kind of play around with. Because there is a... In the, the Atomic Robo comic book, there is some some issues that are dedicated to these characters as sort of the precursors to Atomic Robo. Right. And they're called the Centurions of Science in those episodes. It's a lot like kind of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and it's just all these disparate uh, personalities from that era that are going around having these super adventures in, in the fictional version of the world. So I don't know that it's a supplement as much as it's you're playing an Atomic Robo world, you just play 30 years earlier than Atomic Robo was made, and you happen to play with these particular characters. But as I said in my article, if they're not working on that as a setting, they are missing the boat, because that is awesome. Uh, so very quickly, we, we played in the World's Fair in Chicago. We started off, again, being in Fate, we started right in the middle of the action. We were, being, uh, we were pinned down by some thugs. And uh, and Mike had worked in a lot of historically accurate information. There was, there was a display of this gigantic cannon at that World's Fair that could shoot a, a, a cannonball like 15 miles, and it was made by some German company to try to show how you know how good they are at making giant cannons. And so the people that were attacking us were hired by an opposing gun manufacturer. They were just trying to ruin the expo. Then he, I guess the mayor of Chicago got murdered during the World's Fair. So he worked that into the game, and we had to figure out uh, why he was murdered. And then he worked in a brainstorming session, which we talked about on our interview, which is where everyone just does science at, uh, at a problem. And we had three random people that had displayed uh, very uncharacteristic aggression. One had like, killed their husband, another one beat up somebody on the street. So we got to interview them at the police station, and we turned out that, that a, a witch doctor medicine man had used mercury poison to mind control them. That that was what turned out was the truth, which led us to a warehouse where we fought two mechanical steampunk uh, robot-type creatures, and that's how we ended up winning the game. Applesauce. And then some. Wow. And just as a side note, uh, if I remember correctly from the Atavik Robo books, brainstorming means you guys made up those elements. It's not like Mike was prompting you or handing you those answers because you made a good roll. You rolled and won the ability to say mercury poisoning, and someone else got to say witch doctor. You you developed that part of the story, which I'm just in love with because that's an awesome thing to do. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, as, as GM, specifically you and I, with our, our storytelling style, a lot of times we do just riff off of what someone at a table is saying, and we incorporate it into the game, especially in those moments where you're letting the players solve a puzzle or overcome a social situation, and you're just sitting back watching them talk out the problem. 
we very frequently pluck details out of that conversation and incorporate them later. But this mechanic is, is specifically designed to pull input out of all of your players at the table and make it really happen. And I think that's one of the things I like most about the Atomic Robo version of Fate. You know, it's, it's a very interesting game mechanic because it does mechanize something that a lot of DMs, in my experience, do anyways. And that's just, like you said, listen at the table and then steal the player's ideas. And this just codifies it and says, okay, we're, we're definitely going to do that. And it's also, there's a kind of a funny element because you get these crazy combinations of, of what's going on. There's no way that would have happened in any other situation regardless of that game that we would come up with witch doctors using mercury poison to mind control people. But it totally made sense in this game, and it was a pretty awesome moment. Sure, sure, definitely. Well, let's, talk, let's also talk a little bit about uh, Primeval Thule. I mean, that, to my mind, that was, that was a big deal for you. I mean, yes, you paid for it because you, you backed them on Kickstarter to that level, but that's still a very big deal that they sat down and ran this for you, and it was just for you. Not, no one else did that. No one else could sign up for that module or that event. That was you. So uh, I know you said uh, way back when um, that it was not an incredibly dynamic game. It was a pretty typical, classic D&D story. But, I mean, what happened? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, I think we talked about it so much leading up to Gen Con. We need to expound on that a little bit. So, if you don't remember what Primeval Fool is, the, the very basics is, is it is a new setting created by Sasquatch Game Studio, which is comprised of Richard Baker, David Noonan, and Stephen Schubert all of which have a long list of games and supplements and books that they've written around D&D and some other things. Uh, so they have, a, they have a pedigree when it comes to creating games and settings and that kind of such. And the elevator pitch is that this is Conan meets Cthulhu. You are playing a savage world that um, has old ancient monsters and deities. Magic is still sort of unknown in a lot of ways. You can play a magic user, but... Uh, in the game setting itself, it's it's kind of a mystery. Atlantis has just recently sunk to the bottom and is a lost civilization. Most of your characters are stuck with Bronze Age weapons, except for dwarves. Dwarves are the only race that know how to work iron, and that's a secret they guard uh, carefully. And it's just it's a game where you don't play heroes; you play adventurers. You play play people who are like Conan. They just want to get paid. And maybe they do the right thing along the way if it's in their best interest uh, as they're doing it. So you've got jungle beast men, you've got uh, lost temples to snake beings, you've got uh, Narlethotep and Cthulhu are actually in the game as icons, or at least their cults are because of uh, the way icons work. And yeah, it's just it's an amazing setting. It, it reminds me of the games I used to play when I first started playing D and D, just because. You know, again, I wasn't into the heroic concept. I wanted to play swashbuckling adventurers who just happen to use swords rather than rapiers and fight beastmen. And, you know, the movie Beastmaster is a great example of this. Uh, you know, you got these sort of corrupt city-states that are secluded from everything around them. They're sacrificing children at their temples to evil gods. You know, and you just watch Beastmaster if you haven't. Uh, that's a good idea of what this setting is. So the thing about the game is that it did not really do a great job of showing us that world because we 
we played in a very small part of the game. We played in the city of uh, Innistral, which is a very decadent elven city. And uh, and this is in the campaign book. The campaign book just came out for Pathfinder, I believe. That's the only physical book they have. If you backed it, the digital copy is available for all the settings. I, I backed it for the 13th Age, but my physical book hasn't got here yet, but I've been able to read through it. So there's this drug that has recently been found that they call the black milk. And it's basically like opium, but it's a little bit different. And it has an interesting effect on elves that it actually puts them to sleep. So pretty much the entire city, this, this elven city, are addicted to this drug that allows them to sleep. And they have these very vivid dreams. And that's something that elves don't normally sleep, so it's, it's highly addictive. Uh, the city, you know, basically is not being ran very well. And all of our characters have been arrested. And part of our backgrounds, we had to go around and decide what we were arrested for and if it was a justifiable arrest or whatever. And then we were put into a, the fighting pits for the entertainment of the city. And David did a great job as the DM. You know, he really painted some vivid pictures with his words and, and really made us hate these elves that were doing this to us, and they put us against some very terrifying creatures, and we got to do some really cool stuff, and there was some amazing role-playing at the table, and also just the normal stuff that you do that's just funny, so I really couldn't, couldn't be happier with the cast of characters that we had, and I was very, very happy that Philip, who won the contest, he had a great time. Like He constantly talked about how much fun this was, uh, he just had a great night, and and, and I'll, I'll tell the story quickly because it's funny. He didn't bring any dice. There was a there was a moment where he thought he wasn't going to be able to come to Gen Con. One of his uh, children had a, a medical issue kind of the last minute, and there was a chance he wasn't going to be able to make Gen Con at all. Fortunately, mostly for the health of his kid, they, they're okay, so he got to go to Gen Con kind of last minute. So he showed up to the game, and he didn't have any dice. And being uh, the OCD guy that I am, I had multiple sets. So I loaned him a set of dice. And I'm not kidding, dude. He must have rolled seven or eight natural 20s during that game. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, every time he rolled, there was a, we just assumed it was going to be a crit at one point. And he just kept saying, like, oh, my God, these dice are awesome. Can I buy them from you? And, it, you know, obviously he was kind of joking. But I was like, yeah, of course. I ended up giving him a T-shirt. I had the, the RPG Academy shirt that we had made. I gave him one. And I just went ahead and get, gave him that set of dice uh, because... It just, it, it made the entire event awesome for him. And I didn't know this at the time when we had the contest, but we interviewed his daughter, uh, Liz Tice, who works for Lone Wolf Hero Lab and the Realmworks interview, is one of his daughters. Oh. Yeah, I know. Crazy, right? Wow. And, and I ran into her in, in the exhibit hall, and all she said was, my dad had so much fun at your game that we made his Gen Con. That absolutely, by far, it was his favorite event. He had so much fun, and and he just wouldn't stop talking about how much fun this event. So again, that that host in me, that person who likes to organize things for other people, that hit all those buttons. So that also made that a great event for me because I knew that I provided something for this guy that was his favorite event as well. Cool. That is really awesome. Now, I know we've been talking for a while. Yep. Probably look towards wrapping up. But I think screaming doom would come upon us 
if we did not talk about the angry DM. <laughs> yeah, that probably would be uh, a bad for us. I, I don't know if you happen to see on his uh, his Twitter feed, he sent me a message he, for this podcast. Because we sent an email or Twitter out and said, hey, we're going to do this episode. Any questions? And he's like, yeah, on a scale of awesome to super awesome, where would you rate me in person? I'm pretty sure that's a trick question. I don't think there's a right answer because no matter what I say, he's going to say, well, I'm actually super duper awesome. You... Blankety blank. <laughs> so all I'm going to say is that it, it was awesome of him to, to invite me to a game. I, I really did pester him last year. I wanted to play in one of his games. It just didn't work out, mostly because I overscheduled and I had zero free time last year. So he took some pity on me and he arranged a game, not for me, but he had, that's really all he did this year, or my understanding is he pretty much just played pickup games the entire time. So he just happened to invite me to one of them. And we got to play Old School Hack, which I had never played before. And it's a, it's a fun little game. I mean, I don't know if it's something I would want to play like a long-term campaign. But for a one-shot in the con, it was great. It, character creation happened really fast, so we were able to get characters going. The, the part I liked best about character creation is you roll 2d20 for your stats. So you can have anything from a 2 to a 20. And the adjustments are based very similar on regular basic D&D. &D, an 18 is a plus 4. Um, a 12 is flat, that kind of thing. But as you roll, you have to slot those scores. So there's kind of a push-your-luck mechanic built in that, like, I knew I wanted to play a fighter, so when I rolled a 13 for the first time, I'm like, is is that going to be my highest score? Because the girl next to me, Adrian, or Adrienne, she got, like, a 4. And I'm like, holy crap, what if I, you know, what if I don't get anything else higher than a 13? Do I need to put my 13 there? And then I'm like, okay, well... I'll risk it. And then my next one was like a 12. Well, now do I put the 12 in strength? Because I'm really afraid it's going to go down. And it was like stressful to go through that process, which actually made it really fun for me uh, to go through. I, I think I ended up with a 15 strength, but I did that fourth because I was just like, I'm not going to take the chance that I, I get anything better than that. You have a title. Like you play like the game. You basically you have a fighter. I'm sorry. You have the fighter. The rogue, the cleric, the goblin, and the magic user. And there may be many fighters in this game, but there is only one the fighter, and that is the character that you are playing. So you are these iconic heroes. Uh, you have named levels. At first level, as a fighter, I was a man at arms. And you're supposed to pick an, an, an adjective that goes with that to kind of describe your character, which I think is in a way kind of like Numenera works. So I was the heroic and brash fighter. And you use that as like a role play prompt. So when it's time to do something, you should react based off of what you did. <laughs> Again, I don't even know how to explain it. As I put in the article, we burn a town to the, to the ground. Like literally burnt a town to the ground on accident. We then found the only surviving person of that catastrophe who was a hermit who lived outside of town. He promptly died by the assassin that was chasing one of our characters. We won that game. Then we lost that game. And along the way, we killed Batman because of Onion. Well, I guess it would be stupid to ask for more details. I don't know that I could make it make more sense. <laughs> I, could, I think if I had recorded that game, I don't know that it would have made any more sense than that. The angry DM lives up to his rep. He is an amazing DM. And playing a game that that's, that is that silly, we all got into that and we were doing silly things. 
but he rolled with the punches. He never was flustered no matter what we did or what we said. It, the next thing just happened. He is a bit of a, a general at the table, and uh, I think he kind of gets into that in a moment. Um, there was a, a, th During that game, you can give awesome points. So if someone does something that's awesome, the other players can give them an awesome point for doing something that's awesome. And then you can use those awesome points to help you do other awesome things. And early in the game, someone did something awesome. And another player said, hey, can I give him an awesome point for that? And he kind of yelled at him. He's like, why are you asking me? Did they do something awesome? Then give them an awesome point. <laughs> and, it's, and you can tell it's, it's still tongue-in-cheek. It's a persona. But he actually, I would say he yelled at me, but I got, I got like put in my place at one point because I asked a question that should have been a statement. And then I picked up my die, and he's like, "Why are you touching your dice? That's not something you roll for." And I was, I just, I didn't know what to do. What now? Ah! <laughs> so yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting experience. I'm very, again, very happy that he invited me. It was fun. I would, I will gladly play in any game that he lets me play in in the future. Um, it was an experience. And friends of the show, NPC Cast, they also got to play in a game, and they recorded it. So they actually did play in a game that they're going to release on their show as a TPK. In, uh, it, it was a Savage Worlds game in a setting that Angry has been working on uh, as a homebrew setting that he wants to maybe do something with in the future. So I'm very interested to, to listen to that game to see, kind of get some details about this world and the setting that he's created. But but yeah, he uh, the advice he gives, he lives. And that was for our Goblin audience because they always speak in rhyme. Wow, I, I wonder. Uh, I wonder what the metrics are for skewing towards the goblin listeners. I feel like I'm letting them down if I don't rhyme <laughs> enough things, and then I realize they're goblins, and I don't care. Ah, uh, those goblins are deadly. Let me tell you, we we played. Other than burning the town down, which was technically my fault, so I killed everyone. The goblin killed like nine people. Like we we got into a bar fight. It was supposed to be a bar fight where we like punch people and use chairs. The goblin's like no. And just started stabbing people and was just killing people left and right. So it was actually kind of good that we burnt the town down to, to hide all the evidence. Probably a good thing. And also we, we also killed every possible witness. So it was kind of a clean getaway at that point. Wow. You just exemplified what it means to be a hero. Jeez. <laughs> Told you I like to play adventurers, not heroes. <laughs> so we, I think we've hit a lot of high points. I think you brought up a lot of uh, great experiences that you've had. Uh, your article on our website goes into more of a chronological play-by-play -play of everything you did, which is a great read if no one's uh, hit that yet. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you want to talk about? Well, we, we very briefly touched on the ultimate scheme. Uh, I won't recap all that here, but that's the new game that's going to be coming out soon from Sasquatch Game Studios. It was a lot of fun. I got to playtest it. it. It's supposed to be on Kickstarter at some point this year. When it is, I will back it. Uh, based on my playtest, it's something that I will want to, to get the final version. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to eat at the Indianapolis Colts Grill, which is still my favorite restaurant that I've eaten at Gen Con. I've heard that the Ram is better, but I, I tried to go there once and they wouldn't let me because they were out of food. So I still can't say for sure. Do not park at the Ram on the top level on the last day of Gen Con. That is a bad mistake that I regret and I will never make again. 
And then next year, again, the big thing, I definitely want to do the pre-Gen Con thing again next year. Hopefully, again, you'll be there with me and we can make it a bigger thing. But I want more people to show up. I want to make that a thing. I want to make sure that we do run a game, maybe even do like a seminar, maybe a live podcast if there's any interest in doing that. I didn't touch on the uh, Dyson Men. I ran into Seth and Kelly in the hallway like a lot. Like it, it almost got to the point it was a little bit creepy. I don't know more for me or for them. But like every time I turned around, they were standing there. So they gave me some swag. I got the cool uh, of Dyson Men or Dog Tech thing, which was cool. Wasn't able to make the, the, the showing. I had my Saturday and Friday confused. The, the, the night they had the showing was the same night I had the Call of Cthulhu game. So I wasn't able to make the showing. But I heard that it went really well. And then most importantly, a lot of people that watched the movie the first time came back the second time and brought people with them. So the second showing actually had more people than the first. Uh, so overall, it was definitely a success. I'm still a big fan of that movie, uh, so I, I hope that it continues to see success. So that was also very exciting. Uh, it was very cool to have the press badge. Again, I just thought that was cool. Uh, I didn't, you know, I got to do a couple things. We didn't talk about Uma TV at all. Read it for the article. It's if it works, it's going to be pretty awesome. Like I really, the very the short version of that is I I like poker. We talked about that before. I play home games. I had a league for a while. When World Series of Poker started showing the cards on the screen, what everybody had, and showed the odds of them winning, that changed poker and made it a spectator sport. It was on TV before, but literally no one watched it. It became huge. And what Umba TV wants to do is do that with other games, specifically Magic the Gathering. So we could turn Magic the Gathering into a spectator sport. Because Could you imagine playing, like you have like the you know, the regional qualifiers or whatever, these pro events, people make money playing Magic, and you'd have a split screen and they're playing Magic, and you could see what's in, the, what, what's in their hand. So you know they're holding the giant growth, or you know they're holding the fireball, or you know they're holding enchant whatever, or disenchant, or counterspell. Then you could even have an overlay that gives you, like, the statistics of what the next card's going to be. So you have somebody that all they need is one more red mana to cast that fireball, and they win. And you have a little thing that says there's a 3% chance the next card will be a mountain. That could be compelling television. Like, I could definitely see people watching that just like I got into poker. I, I was not a poker player before World Series of Poker. I, I never played. So that made me a poker player. I could absolutely see that making that a spectator sport. And they want to do it with all kinds of games. They mentioned uh, Catan. They're, they're going to have, like, the World Catan tournament in Germany. They want to do the same thing. So you could see... The points, like, the other thing about, I watched the tabletop, the Will Wheaton TV show of Catan, and the thing that frustrated me about that game is that no one knew who was winning till the end. At the end, they counted up points, and Will Wheaton was like, oh my god, I won, and it was like an exciting thing, which would frustrate me as a player because, I mean, I'm sure they had an idea who was winning amongst themselves, but as the, the, the observer, I had no idea. So imagine you're playing a Catan tournament, and you had an overlay that told you, everybody's current point totals and how they were getting those points and what tiles they had in their hand and how those tiles would affect the point. Again, I could see that becoming compelling TV, so I'm very interested to keep an, uh, an ear out for this Umba thing and see what happens with it. And then, again, Dungeonscape. Okay, i got to talk about Dungeonscape quickly. That's the thing that you speak Codename Morningstar. It's the 5e suite of tools. It's awesome. I got to interview Chris Matney, who was the founder of the company, and then I also got to play in a game using the device. And absolutely, for me, it did what it was supposed to do. I was not playing on that iPad the entire time. It was a character sheet. 
I only picked it up when I needed it, but it was an interactive character sheet, which was awesome. Because, for example, if I cast a spell, I could hit a button and it would know that I cast a spell and how many I had left. When I wanted to cast a spell, I could pull up the description and it knew what the DC was based off of my level, my proficiency, and my scores. It knew what the damage was based off of those my level and proficiency. Uh, so it gave me everything I needed to know interactively, just as if I had all the rule books in front of me. And for that alone, it's awesome. The web beta should be open within the next few days. I will be in that. So I definitely want to play around with it, and I hope to put some more stuff on the website once I've actually used it for a game as a DM. Uh, but very excited about that. Cannot wait till it comes out. And uh, if you haven't looked into it, it, it's going to be an awesome thing to add to your D&D games. Cool. So that was our rapid-fire lightning round bam, bam, bam. To, to wrap up there. Awesome. That's just because there was so many cool freaking things that happened. I can't get them all in. I mean, it took me three hours to write that article. How did you think I was going to talk about this in an hour? <laughs> Well, as always, I'm very disappointed that I couldn't go, but uh, it's on the books for next year, and uh, I, I think it's a safe bet to say that if things keep developing the way they ha the way they have been for you and I in this program, next year is going to be a very good year. Yeah, I'm very very excited and looking forward to that for many reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. But even before then, we have something to be excited about. That would be true. The RPG Academicon Year One. Deja vu. Is that the official title? That is the official title. Oh, I gotta write that down. I didn't have that. I spent all day thinking of possible titles, and I didn't know we had an official title. I'm a failure. Yeah, no, no just <laughs> I'm a control freak, so I made a title without consulting you. So, for those of you not in the know, the RPG Academicon Year One Deja Vu is the mini con that we are going to have here in Cincinnati in November, and. For the most part, it's pretty much an open invite. If you want to come to it, just let me know. I have a few people that are going to be traveling in uh, from Chicago. I think Tim and Randy said they're coming. Uh, Danny and John are supposed to come in from Rhode Island. There's um, another guy from Pittsburgh who might make it. We were talking the other day on Twitter, and he thinks there's going to be a conflict of the schedule, so he doesn't know. And then, obviously, all my local people are going to try to come in. Uh, the, the game group that I play with now, Jared and his game group are going to try to come in. Uh, some people that don't game with me anymore but used to are going to try to come in. James, who ran the Savage Worlds game for us and has been on the podcast a while back as a guest, he's going to come. Uh, so we're going to have a bunch of people at my house playing games for three days. It's going to be November 7th, November 8th, and November 9th. And uh, again, the current plan is that Caleb and his wife will be coming down for that as well. So the first Caleb-Michael duo con game might happen as early as November, which will probably be the precursor for what we end up running at Gen Con. I think everyone should be scared. Who knows what's going to happen when we get together? Yeah, I know. Well, we, we met at Origins, and again, we didn't hate each other, so that was a good first start. Uh, we definitely, I want to play Sentinels of the Multiverse, because I want to play it with someone that knows what the fuck they're doing. Because uh, we tried to play it again at the pre-Gen Con thing, and I, uh, it didn't work out very well. I don't think I'm smart enough to play that game. <laughs> Definitely want to do some role playing with you face to face, and with I, again, I'm just because of Gen Con, I'm so excited that I just cannot wait till this event happens. So, so again, if you are interested, if you're local to Cincinnati for one, please contact me. There is an event posted on our Facebook page. Please go there and tell me that you're coming. 
There will be more information coming soon about what events are going to be offered. We're going to try to organize it somewhat and actually have events scheduled. Last year it was much smaller and we just, it was completely fly by the seat of your pants. We would be like, what do you want to do? Someone rose their hand and said, hey, I'll run a Savage Worlds game. Five minutes later, we're playing Savage Worlds. And then when that was over, it's like, hey, let's play Cards Against Humanity. So we did that. It was small enough that we all kind of played the same thing. I, based on who I think all is coming, more than likely we will have multiple tables going at the same time this year. So I want to try to organize it a little bit better than last year, make it a little bit more official. So that's happening. And then we're also having a Facebook contest. Oh, yeah. We currently have 146 likes on Facebook. And I have thrown out the challenge that if we can get to 200 by November 7th, which is the first day of our event, that there will be a prize awarded uh, to one of our lucky followers, or likers, or whatever you call that, Facebook friends. And if we can get to 250 likes by then, that that prize pack will be expanded to the Super Deluxe prize pack. Ooh. I have offered up the people to can speculate on what might be in said prize pack, uh, so I can comment on it. But trust me, it's going to be pretty freaking awesome. But, like, right after I announced it, like, two days later, we got, like, 10, 11 likes. It was awesome. And then we stalled out again. So we need 54 more minimum by November 7th, which is a long way away. It's like 11 weeks. I mean, that's, what, five a week. We can do that. So if you're not already a Facebook friend and you do Facebook, please go in and just give us a like. That's all you got to do. Then you can invite other people. If you have people in your circle of friends on Facebook that are like-minded and might like our show or might like what we talk about or just might want to have a chance to win free stuff, they need to come to our site, give us a like as well. 200 is the trigger point. 250 is the mega load maximum prize pack thingy. So let's see if we can get there. Yes, please. Click like. We'll give you things. There you go. All right, guys. So uh, that is pretty much the wrap-up of our Gen Con 2014 wrap-up. Uh, the article is online. Uh, you've just listened to the show. If you have any questions, if you want Michael to go on about anything else, please hit us up on Facebook, on Twitter, on uh, Google+, anywhere that you can find us on social media. Feel free to get a hold of us. And uh, within the next couple weeks, you're going to see some new articles online, some new extracurricular activities in the RPG Academy, and uh, really just stick with us for the ride. You know, if there's something you want to see, don't hesitate to bring it up and mention to it. We are always open to input from our listeners. Whether or not we act on that, who knows? But we always like talking to you. So that's the show, and uh, we will wrap it up for next time. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at The RPG Academy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash therpgacademy. We also have a Google Plus page, The RPG Academy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.